welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, we have somatic therapist and relationship coach, Elmo Painter. Join us for a conversation about the power of play. Together, we talk about letting your weird light shine, listening to our bodies, and sensually thriving. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of Modern Anarchy. I am so delighted that you are here to keep exploring your pleasure and keep exploring our liberation. As with all of the episodes on this podcast with thinkers and activists and healers, there is so much packed inside this conversation, way more that I could put in the episode title or the description here. So I hope it sparks further exploration for you of pleasure, dear listener. And one of the things that I brought up in this episode and I continue to think about is the research that we have on pleasure. And I think first it's important to name that there is such a lack of research in this area, first off. But even within the research that we do have, I'm asking some bigger questions here about the research. Now, all of this that we have is within the framework of a gender binary. So I just want to say to all the listeners out there who exist beyond the restrictive binaries of gender, I see you. I know our research does not always see you, but I see you. And we will continue to fight for that future. So now the research that does exist within this space shows that Women's sexual desire is significantly and negatively predicted by relationship duration after controlling for age, relationship satisfaction, and sexual satisfaction. So what that means is that the longer that these women were in these relationships, regardless of how good the relationship was, regardless of the age factors, and regardless of how good the sex was. So the sex could be amazing, top tier, so good. Regardless, for women, the longer they're in that relationship, the less sexual desire they feel. Whereas men were not significantly impacted by the duration. So the men continued to have that same level of interest. Now, y'all, isn't that fascinating? All this time, so much research has been out here attacking women, saying that there's something wrong with women's desire and it's so hard and it's so elusive. When we have data that is now showing that actually women's desire is impacted negatively by long-term relationships. And now wait, long-term relationships? Maybe there's some other factors there. This is where I get angry, right? Is it all long-term relationships? Are there types of relationships that maybe predict this more or less? We call these 
confounding variables, right? Other confounding variables in this equation obviously might include things like heteronormativity, right? These gender roles, these expectations around sex. There is a additional research study I linked below that talks about that as actually a potential variable that's impacting this difference we see in desire between men and women of long-term relationships. So yes, of course, there are multiple confounding variables that are tied up in this. So a question of non-monogamy or monogamy would certainly not be the only answer in this piece. But <laughs> I cannot believe that we don't have any research that is exploring. I mean, I guess I can believe it. Hold on. Let me take that back. I can totally believe it given where we're at. But it is ridiculous in terms of doing good research to be putting out these sorts of statements about women's sexual desire without doing additional research into specific areas of intersecting identities that might be impacting that, right? Here's a great example, the orgasm gap. The gap that we found out through research of looking at these variables that women in heterosexual relationships are orgasming significantly less than women in queer relationships. That opened up a whole lot in terms of research, right? So instead of placing the blame on women and the elusive orgasm and pleasure of women, we realized that, hey, women in queer relationships are orgasming way more than women having straight heterosexual sex. So maybe it's not about women here. Maybe it's about the assumptions that are in that type of sex because clearly queer women are not having the same issue, right? So we're able to take a different lens and understand the multiple ways that our identities are impacting something like orgasm. And so when it comes to something like sexual desire, I am deeply, deeply, deeply curious as a researcher in this space to know if having multiple sexual and romantic relationships would change your sense of sexual desire over time. As a psychologist in training, I'm always talking about how our identities are formed through multiple relationships. We look out to that person across from us and they become a mirror of how we see ourselves. And so I ask the question of when you have a multiple mirrors of eroticism, Does that foster an internal sense of desire from that person who has multiple of them? And especially multiple relationships that maybe have different levels of interaction, right? Ice cream is lovely. It's delicious. I love ice cream. It is great. You know what happens when I eat ice cream every single day? I do tend to forget the beauty and forget to have the curiosity and the joy of that substance. And so when I have maybe a brownie every month, maybe every year, or every day of the week, depending on how much I want to have some variety in my sweet deliciousness of options in the world, that actually makes me more thankful for my ice cream wild idea, right? How having more joy, more pleasure from somewhere else could actually bring more gratitude for another flavor that I have in my life. And so I'm just curious if having different flavors of relationships, people that you connect with, different mirrors where you have your erotic self seen and explored, I wonder if that would change women's sexual desire over a long term. I mean, just regardless of whether it is or not, 
people should be having this as a variable that they're exploring in their research. And if they're not, they're not really sticking up with the times, which are that 40% of the younger generation are saying that their ideal relationship is non-monogamous. So I think eventually the research will catch up, right? In the same way that it took years for research to start exploring the differences between heteronormativity and LGBTQIA plus identities, the research will slowly start to introduce this as a confounding variable to be examining within their studies. But we just don't have that right now. So whoever's looking for a graduate level research study, there it is right there. Someone take it and please run it and see what you get out of that and let me know. I do think it's interesting that we have some research more It's not as direct, obviously, so we can't make any sort of immediate conclusions, but there was one study too, again, all linked in the show notes below, that found women who stayed in the same monogamous relationship over their entire seven-year observation period experienced the greatest decrease in sexual desire, but by contrast, women who had found a new partner over the study duration of seven years experience lower decreases in sexual desire. So without a framework of monogamy or non-monogamy, we do have some research that shows in a seven-year observation that women who stay in monogamous relationships that entire period experience the largest drop in sexual desire, whereas women who found new partners during that period experienced less of a drop in sexual desire. My question is, what about both? What if we have women who have long-term steady relationships that exist beyond seven years? And like Elmo says in our conversation later, those relationships involve continual exploration of curiosity because that person that you're spending those seven years with is changing every single day, just like you are. And so bringing in curiosity into those relationships is so important to continue that spark and that exploration that transitions through the honeymoon period into a deeper and further expansive journey of pleasure. But also, what if you had that long-term, steady relationships as well as functional new relationships that come into your life, kind of like this study showed when you had a new partner over that seven year, there was less of a drop in the sexual desire. So what if we did both stably? What if we had long-term committed relationships and sexual relationships that fluctuated over time with different people for different longevities? I mean, I hope that if you're new to this world of non-monogamy and you're hearing what we talk about, that you also hear how much expansion is possible in terms of the types of non-monogamy that you can do. It doesn't have to all be polyamory. It doesn't have to just be swinging. There is so much of a smattering, I would dare say, a whole canvas for you to create, dear listener. And yeah, I say all of this too because... We can't forget the historical context of this reality, right? All this time we've been talking about the elusive, so difficult to obtain women's orgasm, you know? And then we look out and we see that queer women are having more orgasms than in their heteronormative relationships, right? And so we, again, we point the arrow towards maybe heteronormativity rather than women in some sense of an elusive orgasm. And when I'm talking about this, I'm putting myself as a woman into the historical context that women 
could not have credit cards until 1974. I just have to pause and highlight how that hasn't even been 50 years that women have had liberation financially. And I know, obviously, there are still other things in that, right? Like the gender pay gap, the fact that women are not actually free in the United States of America, at least all of those things still exist. But damn, we have had 50 years of financial liberation. And when we put that in even more context, when we talk about things like sexuality, desire, relationships... I've talked about this stat before, and I think it's important to say marital rape, the ability to rape your wife without any consequences because she was your property, we started to outlaw that in the United States in 1970. And that wasn't complete in all of the states until 1993. So it's been 30 years that we have outlawed marital rape, okay? You have to keep that in mind when we are thinking about what type of relationship structure would bring women the most joy, the most pleasure. I certainly don't know, dear listener, what that answer is, but I am excited to find out. I am excited to keep seeing where women's liberation and all people, again, I want to be very clear, all people along in this path, regardless of your gender, are going to be in a hundred years time with more freedom for our bodies, our identities, and our pleasure. But what I just want to hit home is that none of this is highlighted in our research yet. So I'm just frustrated as a researcher when I'm trying to get y'all some accurate data on what is out there for libido, and I can't find any research that addresses the confounding variables like non-monogamy versus monogamy and how that would play into these factors given what we see from other sorts of data about monogamy and new relationships. It's just, we're a few paradigms behind, okay? And we'll get that research. And I hope, dear listener, you, someone that you know is in grad school going down this path, would be interested in taking up these research questions because, yes, we need you and we need more data out there to uh, challenge these norms, challenge these norms. And until then, I am gonna keep dancing with you, dear listener, in the enjoyment of our pleasure and our communities that we are building and the space that we are creating together here on this podcast. And as per always, tune in. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. How would you introduce yourself to the listeners? Hi, I'm Elmo Painter Eddington. I'm a somatic therapist and relationship and empowerment coach. My specialty is people who feel like they don't fit into a box. My business is called Weird Light Coaching. 
I worked in clinical settings. I've been a therapist for since 2016, and I've worked in two different group practices since then that were both somatically based, and they were both wonderful places to work. I just have always kind of just needed to be on my own. And I started this business about a year ago and it's really fun. I I specialize in seeing folks who are LGBTQIA++, polyamorous folks, consensual non-monogamy folks. Like my, that's the relationship coaching part is I specialize in coaching folks who are either opening their relationships or have been not consensually non-monogamous for a long time and are kind of like coming in, like running into some things. I myself have been polyamorous for over 20 years. So I've got a lot, a lot, a lot of real life experience and learned experience coming into that. And mm. same with kink and the BDSM community. I've also been a part of the BDSM community for over 20 years. People started calling me an elder a, while, a couple of years ago and I was like, no, <laughs> but I was like, oh, it's been a generation since I've been doing this. So maybe, maybe, yeah. I'm not going to lie. The thought was going through my head. I was like, yep, here it is. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I'm very, very excited to talk to you then. And uh, how exciting. Congrats on a year of your practice. Thank you. Yeah. 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 And uh, so essentially weirdos, anybody who's like, I'm a weirdo, I'm artists, activists, and I myself am neurodivergent. So I love working with neurodivergent folks and just like bringing yourself back to your weirdness and letting it just yeah. shine bright. That's my whole thing is let your weird light shine bright. So the other weirdos know where to find you. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. That authenticity yeah. that I feel like always keep speaking to people like that gentle knock at the door and then you open it a little bit deeper and then deeper and then you get into the space and it I don't know it feels good to me where I'm at in my life with listening to that little whisper mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I know we said we were going to talk about or at least start who knows where we'll go yeah. right but start with play as rebellion yeah I'm curious what that means to you yeah so I not think no like there there's so much burnout in our world I mean we're we're working some of us are working multiple jobs you know taking mm -hmm. care of people family members community activists who are working their ass off against huge problems and the you know huge cultural problems and you know there there's so much like there's so many really important things to do and they are very important. And I think we get into, and just like, you know, when we have chronic anxiety or things like that, we get that neurological wiring starts, those pathways start getting deeper and deeper. And that just starts mm -hmm. being how we operate. Play gets forgotten. Like, I think even outside of the because we all also have like a self-care to-do list, right? Like we all have to-do lists. And sometimes the self-care to-do list is also kind of becomes a to-do list item. It's like, oh, I should meditate. <laughs> I should like, I should yeah. do this. I should do, you know, these shoulds start popping up and up and up and up. Part of my somatic practice is helping people relocate their yes, mm. right? Like where in your body is that yes? Like when you think about the thing, like your self-care item, does it light you up in any way, yeah. shape or form? And, and 
And if not, maybe that's not a self-care item. Maybe that's something that somebody, somebody told you you should do with your body or your time or your energy. Mm-hmm. And maybe that doesn't work for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Meditation is not for everybody. It's not, you know, and there are lots of different kinds of meditation too. Like there are so many different kinds of meditation mm-hmm. and there can be something that, that lights you up or maybe movement it maybe you know movement maybe dancing maybe that's your meditation maybe you know so maybe making art maybe coloring like there's so many right. there's so many different ways of finding a little bit of play yeah. in yourself and yeah kind of going against this you know capitalist patriarchal expectation of work work ethic right like oh I have a good work ethic like okay who told us that was something important to have you know so refinding play play as rebellion just means finding pleasure in whatever whether it's putting extra glitter on your face whether it's Mm -hmm. painting a room bright pink whether it's like going and dance jogging I used to like I would, I would like, I was like, I want to jog, but I also want to dance. So I just did this ridiculous, like came up with this thing where I was just like, like dance as if I was in a musical around my neighborhood. And I was like, this is what I'm, this is where I'm at. I'm this person in your neighborhood, y'all. Why not? Why not? It's like me. I've been following um, some YouTubers that put like dance workouts and I will like do that. And I like even the word workout, I've been trying to let go of that and use the word movement. Yeah. Um, my dad was a bodybuilder and like was in that sort of range. So I like very much so grew up with like, you got to take care of the body. You got to do this. You got to do this. And I think at least now getting to the space where like running doesn't bring me joy. Working out in the gym does not bring me joy. Mm-hmm. Yoga brings me joy. Rock climbing, my walks, you know, dance little things on YouTube. Like how do we tune into those pieces instead of the shoulds? I should go run on this treadmill, you know, yeah. or even all that, you know, just letting it go. And when you were talking about finding the yes, I immediately thought it was like, oh, okay, the body, right? Like how do you teach people to tune into the embodied yes? Yes. That could probably be maybe a whole course, you know? Mm-hmm. A whole yeah, lifetime. absolutely. But I also think it's so crucial in terms of kind of like what you were saying earlier, like the weight that we're carrying purely because of our access to the internet and awareness of issues and larger things that are going on. At least for me, sometimes that puts me, I feel like into this like trauma response, right? Mm -hmm. Of like flight, fight, freeze, fawn, you know, whatever, all of the, you know, like, what do I do when I see all of this world going on? And I think that it is so radical to not be in some sort of like Pollyanna, the world is super beautiful and everything's great, but to like, recognize how much pain and problems and issues exist and also how can stepping into our play and our joy be a part of how we counteract that because we can't stay in the trauma response right that's what i say to my activist clients there's this like if you're not angry you're not paying attention and i think that's such a toxic belief because Mm. you can be paying attention and take care of yourself and the more we take care of ourselves the longer we can stay in the movement if you're burned out and you're hitting the floor, you're not helping the movement. We've got to mm-hmm. take care of ourselves. But yeah, like finding those 
finding those spaces of play and bringing play into and having dance protests. And, you know, like there have been all these beautiful, beautiful, uh, like musical movements and artist movements cool. and like making art and creating art and putting that out there and having that be your activism is also it's it can marry the two and you know I love comedy I love comedy mm. and there are a lot of stand-up comedians who are fucking preaching like they're hilarious yes, they and are. They're, you know they're bringing that they're bringing change they're changing people's minds and perspectives mm -hmm. on stuff and like you know there are so many different ways of being an activist and you can make yeah. it playful Yes. Yes. And then I think that's like the long run, right? Like we have, if we're in some sort of war, right, of like bringing more authenticity in the world and having more space to do that, like we have to think about what's going to allow for the longevity of this situation. Yes. And it is not going to be fighting and staying because like quite literally our body can't stay in that right. space and right. thrive, right? So like being able to acknowledge the ways that like joy needs to be present in this in a way that doesn't like disavow the privilege of that experience, right? I think that's the nuance where we're like, yeah, I must state and fight, otherwise I'm not seeing it. But it's like the longevity of your work, some sort of like utilitarianism framework to this is not to be enraged the whole time. Yeah, 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 exactly. Mm -hmm. And just how rebellious is it to be a queer person, uh, you know, like any level of those like intersectional sectionalities of like a queer person, a person of color, a neurodivergent person, somebody with a, like any other disability who is happy and playing yes. and being like, you know what, I'm not falling for your work ethic bullshit, <laughs> you know, like these uh, cultural ideas that laud misery in mm -hmm. in all these different ways. And it's like, how, how about no how about I'm you know I'm gonna put on some the, this really fun outfit and go yeah. out and you know like when I go to a protest I do like a makeup when I put, ah! I, I call it my game face I'm like this is my game face and I go you know oh, yeah. I go I go out you know like with a snap yeah it's so it's so important so important. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that. As you said that the game face, I'm thinking like sparkles, like, yes, yeah, like, this is my game face. Yeah. And I think for me, I'm curious how play comes into kink for you. Oh, yes. I know. Oh, here we go. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's go. Go for it. <laughs> so another thing that I do, part of another part of my activism is that I um, I guest speak at grad schools cool. and I train future therapists um, in the ways of queer and kink and polyamory normalizing and uh, like not only normalizing, but bringing in like how we can heal with kink and how, you know, like there are so many different ways of saying not not even just destigmatizing, but encouraging and and being like hell yes i'm so happy that you found out that thing that you like that's like you know like let's check out or check out fet life or you know find some events nearby or classes nearby but also something that i love is when i go into a class and i'm talking about king and breaking it down like what does the b what does the g and s and d yeah. and, and you know like all of that stuff like what do these things mean and then I start talking about how it's play. I'm like this because people have this idea that it, there's this like stone cold 
like top person who's like being mean to this other person who's just taking it. And I'm like, y'all, it is not. <laughs> it can be. Yes. It can be for some folks. Too. And but like for a lot of people, it's fun. It's playful. It's ridiculous. It's sometimes, and it's like, you know, I know all these, I know kinky clowns, you know, I know like so many people who are in for the play, 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 play aspects. Yes. Yes. Which I love. Yes. Me too. Yes. And I think so. I never really know who the demographic of my listenership is. At times I assume it's me you know, and people here. And at times I assume maybe it's people lurking who are like, this is so interesting, but I don't know anything about it. So I try to like, kind of like take a moment to ask, what do you mean play? Like, how is kink play? Yeah, for Hmm. sure. So play for like body play. And and this is like sensuality. This can be vanilla or also known as non-kink. So like Mm -hmm. anything that's not Kink is known as vanilla, which mm-hmm. I always say is also delicious. But vanilla is hella delicious. I love all my flavors of ice cream. Yeah, love it. Bringing it back to finding the yes in your body. And and like where, like if you think of, oh man, how far back am I going to go? No, let's know, just stay right? here and I know. put a bit in that. <laughs> so finding ways that you like to be touched Mm. and that can start. Okay. I'm going to go back. So fine. That can even start with like, what kind of clothing do you like to wear? Mm. What is comfortable on your body? What kind of textures, what kind of fabrics, what kind of fit? Mm -hmm. How do you like your clothing to be on your skin? What kind of pressure, like what kind of looseness, what kind of tightness, what kind of softness, you know, like all these things and colors like there's so much sensory there's there's sensory goodness or yes it's sensory yeses and sensory nos are so informed in what so somebody puts on their body right so i love to start there with folks and then like thinking about that and then how you like to be touched mm-hmm. and what lights you up what gives you that warm feeling in your belly what gives you mm-hmm. that tingle you know yeah. in your neck like what's like mm, like what is that really yummy to, like how can you tell in your body that something is yummy mm-hmm. and not just in your mouth like if you yeah. think about even if you just think right now about your favorite thing to eat or your favorite thing to smell right like what do you notice mm-hmm. let's just do a little bit right now nicole yeah. what do you notice in your body what happens mm-hmm. when i think about what i like to eat mm-hmm. <sighs> i do ask this question to myself a lot because i live in chicago which is a beautiful location and i can have like any type of cuisine essentially right because of this location and so usually I feel like into my gut, some sort of like, ooh, yes, like ramen sounds good tonight. And I can't really describe it anything more than that ineffable, like my body tunes into it and says, yes. Yeah. It's hard yeah. to describe, but it's been a practice for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. So, you know, there's something that you know that mm-hmm. your body is telling you and you, and there is like, uh, there's a knowing there. Yes. And so what I like to do with folks is kind of get into the details of that, get into that nitty gritty, like what happens in your muscles, Mm -hmm. what happens in your breath and your pulse, Mm -hmm. you know, starting there and then thinking about emotional sensations, 
if I see a like a bush of jasmine growing, I'm like, oh, yes, then I'll go and just like lay my face in it and just smell it. <laughs> I have not learned enough about ecosexuality yet. I'm getting oh. there. We're getting there. <laughs> oh my God. All right. Put a pin in that, Nicole. We're going there next. <laughs> I'm ready for it. I need some info. I don't know much, but I did connect with a flower this morning. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. Our list is getting long. So I'm going to go back into the, the kinky play right yeah. now. So, so fine. It's like finding, starting, it's okay to start slow with, yeah. with, uh, with somebody that you're playing with. And I always say that like people, there's like a, there's so much culture around, like, especially like dating app culture and things of like people, a lot of people on dating apps like to move faster than others. And it's okay to have different speeds. So that's a really important thing when you're learning something new or learning a new body or learning new things mm -hmm. about your own body yeah. um, and helping a new person learn your body. I mean, there's this whole process that can really be slowed down, I think, for everyone. But for kinky play, experimenting with like, how does this feel? Do I like that? Do I like mm -hmm. a slap? Do I like a thud? Do I not like pain play at all? Or do I just like role play? Like, you know, like top and bottom, like kind of role play. Do I like yeah. receiving specific instructions? Mm -hmm. Do I like giving specific instructions? Mm -hmm. And like, how wonderful is that when in our other life, in our non-play life, we're like, okay, I don't want to be too bossy. I don't want to do, I don't want to be seen as this kind of person. But when we play, oh, we can play with that shadow. Oh, we can bring that shadow out to play. And yes. that's, you know, that's the play, like playing with our shadows mm -hmm. and shadow, like, you know, to explain shadow a little bit more, that part of us that we sometimes don't like to admit is there, or sometimes that part of us, those parts of us that we don't think should be there. Again, mm -hmm. that word should, I yeah. like my biggest what I love to ask of people is to just scratch that word out of your vocabulary because it's coming from somewhere. It's coming from somewhere outside of yourself. Yep. But yeah, playing with shadow in, in scenes, in kinky scenes, experimenting, because there's a whole gamut of things. Like when yeah. I think when a lot of people think of kink, they think of just the SM part. Yep. But there's so much more. Mm -hmm. And bondage is you know, people will be like, why do I love this so much? And I'm like, well, if we're getting into the nervous system, I can tell you that as babies, when we come out of the womb, what do we love? We love being swaddled, held super tight and contained in that way. And when we practice bondage with a, with a trusted person, we can get to some of those same Ugh. spaces and our little baby, our like inner baby is like, oh yes, yeah. <laughs> it's so nice. I feel so <laughs> held. I feel so like, yeah, contained and cared for. And yeah. it can so many beautiful things for your nervous system. Mm -hmm. I know, which makes me want to ask like a spicy question, I guess. Yay! I don't, maybe it's not spicy depending on who you ask, but like, <laughs> is everybody kinky? Because mm. I feel like sometimes when we think like into the Okay, so kink is, I mean, I've, I've looked for definitions, lots of different definitions, right? Like who's to name the definition of this term, but like anything that's the not normative practice of sexuality. And so when I ask bigger questions about what the hell is the normal 
practice of sexuality, right? Like right. Maybe the scripts of, you know, a heterosexual monogamous cisgender, you know, we can put all of the labels up into that of what that is. Mm-hmm. And then we deconstruct that. Okay. So anything that falls outside of the scripts, essentially any sort of play that is outside of that then falls into kink which makes me kind of sit and think like, isn't everybody kinky when it comes to a level of like pure sensory embodiment? Like say you want to focus on that rather than the BDSM pieces of this, right? Like isn't everyone enjoying this kind of play, but maybe not aware that there's more space to play outside of the scripts? So I think, no, I don't think everyone is kinky. I think that like there are a lot of people, I think you and I live in, a subculture probably yeah. where, where like, it feels like everybody's kinky yeah no like that there are a lot of people who you know where there is a little bit more of uh this is like I have this idea of sex and like some of it's cultural and yeah. like not everyone is super embodied in themselves and in their pleasure and xyz and I think kink is a practice mm. uh, also like I don't and like it can be a little bit more of can be an identity or not. And it can be, yeah, a practice of like, Ooh, how, you know, and I think, I also think queerness is a practice too. Mm -hmm. Like I have like a, how can I make this more queer kind of, you know, sure in my life, how can I make my life more queer? How can I, you know, and, but like, yeah, I don't think everyone is kinky. Right. Yeah. Cause I think the fear there's then by doing that, then I'm erasing the uniqueness of, of the practice, right. Mm -hmm. Of the identity of that, I think it's always hard for me too, is like I study like feminist theory and I see the ways in which like just even in my past experiences and heterosexual dynamics were like I was craving the sort of man that would come in and be like all controlling all this sort of stuff and I watch how many people like crave that sort of man that comes in and does everything and controls the scene and is all like that and I'm like damn that shit sounds pretty dummy to me I don't I don't I don't know y'all I'm just <laughs> yeah. all these cravings for this prince charming that comes totally. in and does it. I'm like that sounds like a dom I don't know yeah and I and I do actually think that is I think it is too I yeah. think that is pretty dommy like that's pretty much oh like okay you're craving some top energy you're t- craving some daddy energy okay get that girl all right <laughs> and I think that's where that I'm like damn is everybody kind of kinky but then obviously then you do that then you might take away from yeah the whole respect of the culture and the practice and the the I read this book called pain play and religion like the gestalt like the actual practice of kink for its own thing so yeah nuanced conversation around that but like ooh, geez, that's why I was like this is a juicy like spicy question to yeah. start with I'm always it. curious about it yeah but I can see how it's so healing right like when we're thinking about at least God, my own past, I don't know about you, but like I grew up very fundamentalist Christian. The idea of the body was sinful. Like there was no right. connection to the body, like going through that space of tuning into your embodied yes of what feels good to you. And then taking that on like all levels of pleasure, whether it's kink, whether it's uh, sex, whether it's food, all that, like that is such a healing journey to reconnect to that, that everybody I think needs Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I'm here for it like you know the whole I'm I do somatic experiencing in my practice that's my that's where my somatic training is from and 
you know, I've seen people come in and say like, I've been in therapy for X number of years. It just hasn't gotten me a whole lot of places. We start doing the somatic work and they take off. Mm. They're like, whoa, I forgot this part of myself. And I refound this. And, you know, like I, they suddenly somebody who came in, not really having a lot of boundaries and, Mm. you know, being in relationships that they were not satisfied in or feeling taken advantage of, or, you know, things like that. I specialize in trauma. I specialize in interpersonal trauma, specialize in grief. And I get a lot of folks who are people pleasers and perfectionists and, Oh, here we go with that recovery. I mean, like get it. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Running my teeth over here. I don't know. <laughs> getting into the body and finding authentic. Yes. And authentic. No. And help you move in whatever direction. If it's a yes, moving towards something, if it's a no, maybe taking a little bit of space to saying goodbye. Don't necessarily need to say goodbye. If it can be some space there or, you know, whatever that is. So man, I went off on a tangent and now I don't know where I was. (laughs) No, but I I will just like underscore that I'm still learning that so much. So like, even when you asked about like how I know in my body um, of the food, I feel like I am still just like scratching the surface of understanding my body reactions because where I'm training at, we do a lot of psychedelic work and a big piece of that is connecting to the body, right? Because Mm -hmm. there's particularly so much trauma coming into that sort of client presentation. And so we had done some sort of like didactic training where we put out this um, rope as a boundary. I don't know if you, yeah. Yes, that's a great one. Yes, you put out the rope as the boundary and you say, this is, you know, this is my space. This is my claim. And, you know, the other person starts to move towards you and the invitation is to check in with your body and notice how it feels at each Mm -hmm. point. Can this person come closer? Are they too close? How do you notice that? in the body right exactly i know you're like yeah and i you know i'm like doing it as the therapist in training and then like afterwards later that day i was like ooh, i'm noticing in my body that this invitation to spend some time later tonight you know is bringing up this reaction in my body maybe that's because i'm overworked and i need some time alone right and then and it like just that spark enough to start thinking about that in my day-to-day. And like, I'm the therapist in training. Like, I still feel like I'm scratching that surface of like learning what my body has to say to me. Like, yeah, wild. Yeah, yeah, it's a practice. It's not something that we're really taught growing up. We learn, you know, like, especially, oh God, man. This, okay, go uh, on, how far are you want to go? <laughs> right, how <laughs> far back are we going to go? When a lot of us are growing up, go hug your aunt. You know, you don't know her, but go, you know, you're supposed to go hug her, right? Like we learn to shut off our, you know, like people train us, people accidentally, accidentally train us to shut those parts off, to shut off our intuition and do what we're supposed to do, supposed to, whatever that means. Yeah. Right. Right. So then when you ask someone, how do you tune into your embodied yes for pleasure? Mm -hmm. I don't know what that means. Yeah. And that's why, especially because I work with trauma survivors, that's why I start back with what kind of clothes do you like? Mm, what kind so, of, what's yeah. comfortable on your skin? What mm-hmm. kind of clothing? Because that's not even a person. There's not even a person right. there. So that's, you know, like what kind of things do you like to smell? Mm-hmm. You know, what colors do you fill your home with? Mm-hmm. What kind of objects are around you that are interesting or mean something to you? Mm-hmm. Like we start there. Like what are your favorite holidays? Like what kind of, what's, what's your favorite 
we start with like really way, way, way back away from away from sex and like even mm-hmm. even like interpersonal sensuality. We start all the way back here. And then, mm-hmm. you know, eventually there can be like, I am so, like, I'm like this level of kink. I didn't even, I didn't even know, you know, right. <laughs> or not, or they're, you know, or they'll be like, I've discovered that I'm not kinky or mm-hmm. I've discovered that I'm not poly in this mm-hmm. process. And like, this isn't, this like really isn't for me and it really isn't for everyone. You and know, how, and how great, right? Yeah. I always get afraid of someone who's, you know, non-monogamous that like I'm I'm talking about so much of the greatness that it feels like it's preaching to say that everyone needs to do this. And it's like, that is not at all the reality because people oh. feel good in different relationship structures. And my dream is that people have the informed consent to know the different types mm-hmm. and decide the one that feels the most pleasurable to them and mm-hmm. follow that until the end of your life trust that inner calling that feels that pleasure Mm -hmm. yeah or until another point in your life when it changes for you yeah Mm -hmm. either yeah totally Mm -hmm. yeah following that and there are so many there's monogamy and there's consensual non-monogamy and within consensual non-monogamy there are a million different ways of doing that like there are you know I hear so many people say I must not be poly because xyz or like i wasn't into this kind and i'm like no that's you're that style of it is not for you there's so many different ways to do it for you and your partners like you know whatever Mm -hmm. that feels and looks like have you read polysecure yeah oh yeah it's required reading for my clients i love that (laughs) this is like this this is the work that we're doing so yeah i mean yeah yeah getting some education in there and yeah, feeling out because I've really I've had folks who are like, this isn't for me, mm-hmm. you know, and whatever that meant for their relationships. And then sometimes you get those people who are matched with people who have rel- different relational styles. And oof, that's such a hard one to work through. It's not impossible, but it's close. You know, when you have yeah. one person who is monogamous and another person who is you know, not, but, you know, not, and really has that need and they both have that need. Right. I mean, it in certain circumstances, it can work. So I've seen it work for folks that when the person who is monogamous, who's like, you do you, like, mm. I'm going to be over here doing yeah. my thing, but you do your thing. Yeah. And, you know, but so like, I have, if that is kind of the case, I've seen it work, mm-hmm. but otherwise people are sacrificing huge pieces of who they are to be in the relationship. It's, which you can do, which is a choice that you can, you know, that you can do. Right. That's kind of where I've sat back with it too, is like, okay, like what's your value system? You get to choose, you know, how you, whether to stay in that relationship and cut off that part of your authentic expression for the value Mm -hmm. of staying in that relationship. And then Mm -hmm. I also ask like a bigger question too, where I'm like, damn, like, when is it also our responsibility to talk about the reality that because of the system that we live in, specifically within America, specifically within this puritanical based society and the shame around sexuality that has taught us to repress a lot of it. Like, when is it also important to talk about the reality that it will feel selfish that is in big air quotes over here to follow that authentic expression in this society? Mm-hmm. And that should not be the case. It should be maybe one that's equally valued as like, different ways of choosing to live and choosing to enact your own value system. But like in our system, 
that one gets such a lack of respect, I would say. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Because again, follow, it goes back to play and work ethic. Yeah. You got to work at this. You have to work and make it work. The, you know, and like following your authentic joy is not something that I think it's getting better. I think more people are talking about it yeah. now. And especially back in when I was like a teenager and in my early 20s, a generation ago um that was that that was but breaking up with somebody was like a punishment mm. like they had done something and I think that's still really holds true that like what did they do they're such yeah. a great person why did you break up with them they're so awesome and it's like you know there's this guilting that mm. comes in with that like this person is amazing and you dumped them and it's like it doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't have to be that they did something wrong. Right. It can be two wonderful people who have different paths and different right. needs. Right. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. And those are maybe some of the, hopefully the best, you know, de-escalations that we can have is ones where yeah. we can sit across from that other person and say like, I love you. I see you. We have different value systems and we're going to go our different ways to like build that path. And hopefully like at the end of that is pleasure for both parties rather mm -hmm. than this like tug and pull. I guess I've had that as someone who tried in the past to bring a partner into non-monogamy because it was mm -hmm. such a like strong desire I wanted to follow where I was like, please, like, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. And that polling. Yeah. And it was not what they wanted to do right and i i have you know different opinions now on doing that to people right in general but like at the time i was trying to pull so hard and i don't think i understood this lens to it of people have different value systems and are going to have different happy lives in different ways i it, it's like very much so like kids to me i think like not everyone wants to have kids some people really want to have kids mm -hmm. you put those two people together it's gonna be complicated yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. There can be, there's some real big deal breakers mm -hmm. that are in there, you know? Mm -hmm. And in that, once you start following what you do want, damn, does it feel good? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of angry these days. I was um, trying to find more research on libido mm -hmm. and all of it's very gendered, which is the frame we work in, of course. So like, sure. that's all I re really I can speak to. But like the research that I have found really speaks to like women's libido dropping off after a year. And that was like, regardless of the confounding variables. Of, I know, I love that you're already shaking your head. I would love to hear what about <laughs> you to say. Um, but like, it was like, that was taking apart the, uh, taking out the confounding variables of like child rearing, other sorts of pieces. And like, Obviously, I understand the larger context of like the scripts around sexuality, the orgasm gap, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, I, I get it. But like, you know what pisses me off as a researcher is that we have all this data and, you know, one really big confounding variable is not addressed in there. I haven't seen a single research paper talk about libido and the difference between someone who's in a monogamous relationship and non-monogamous relationship structures. And so I ask a really big question. <laughs> what would that research look like? Yeah, I don't know. I think it goes even deeper than like monogamous versus non-monogamous in this research. And number one, there's so little research on non-monogamy in general, which 
is changing more and more right. now that more and more people are coming out um, as being non-monogamous and practicing non-monogamy. Yeah. But for me, it's like, who are you playing with? Mm. You know, like this libido thing, most, a lot of people have responsive desire. Totally. Like, like, you know, like, yeah, same. Me too. Yeah, me. yeah. And like, who are you playing with? Is there a mismatch mm. there? Again, that can be like two people who are like two bottoms together who like want the other person to initiate. I mean, like there's so many things, even if like that's not language that you're using, if there are two people who like are responsive and neither is an initiator, that can just be like, okay, like let's figure out this practice and things like that. Is your partner or your partner's curious about you and have you gotten curious about your body do you continue to be curious about each mm. other that is what i think keeps desire going is yeah. like that curiosity and play always comes back to play are you playing and like or is it that like after that kind of new relationship energy tapers off that the play goes away and we get into our to-do lists and we uh -oh. get into our lives and we get like we call each other like you know, we get into like a pet name, we stop using our person's name. We just, we only use their, you know what I mean? Like, is it yeah. like, do we start taking each other for granted? Totally. I feel like there's so much more of that in that one year drop off of libido mm -hmm. kind of, that's what I hear when I hear things like that. That's what my brain goes to. Sure. Which then I think like, you know, as a perfectionist type A person over here, like play is hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to unlearn a lot of stuff to invite play. Yeah, do you have any advice? I'm I'm still learning that practice, how to get more comfortable in play. Yeah, I'm actually uh, right now and next week I'm recording a downloadable workshop cool. um, called Play School for Adults. Essentially, I'm going to be doing that. So mm -hmm. what I want to, some advice that I give is thinking about what you did to play when you were little. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Like what would you, what did you play with when you were little? How did you play? What kind of, did you play dress up? Did you play games? Did you collect like what kinds of things did you collect? Yeah. What did you like to surround yourself with? Yeah. I like to dress up. That was definitely dress up and dance and perform. Yes. Yes. So for you, I'd invite you to like go to the thrift store and get some like super fun clothing that maybe you wear outside. Maybe you just wear at home just to like feel awesome like if you want to go further take a class you know take it like a maybe a burlesque class maybe you know clowning class like what kind of performance taking improv comedy I will preach improv comedy till <laughs> I die it's so it's like such a a way to it's a radical acceptance practice. It's a mindfulness practice. It's an active listening practice. It's a yes and like bringing that yes and into your life will change your life forever. Even if that classes aren't there, you can just like be a ridiculous person in your mm -hmm. living room. Like mm -hmm. do, you know, and by, I say ridiculous with all of the love and the and my little clown heart, like, you know, bringing absurdity into your life. That's another big thing I love to invite in. Sure. It's like, how can we bring absurdity back? Like bring it totally. back, <laughs> you know? I know the second you said the comedy piece, my head was about to say, I can't, like I literally can't. And I clock every time I use that word, I can't, cause I think that's an interesting <laughs> one at like the shoulds. Yep. Um, cause I definitely can. However, my God, trying to on the spot do stuff and like stand out in that way, it is 
absolutely terrifying. I'm also processing how like this podcast is an act of that. But like I go back and edit it, right? Like I can do whatever I want, you know, kind of really at the end. So like that's my easy out for my perfectionist anxiety stuff is I get the final say, you know what I mean? But like doing that stuff in person, oh my God, are you kidding me? But you know what then happens is when I'm playing with my partner, that same sort of like, ooh, I don't want to go there because what if I say something stupid? What if I say something silly? And then like my deeper subconscious is going through this process of like, if I say that, then I'm going to be rejected. Then they're not going to like me. I'm going to lose connection. I'm going to lose all that sort of stuff. So like, I better not play that way because dear God, what if, you know? Yeah. So, and then you've lost that connection opportunity. Mm -hmm. You've taken that opportunity from yourself and your partner to Mm -hmm. know you in a different way. Hmm. And I think that for me is like the beauty of a longevity, uh, the longevity of a relationship, like the the deeper I connect with people over time and energy. And I always like to use the framework of like learning how they like to be touched in their bodies and played with as like an instrument that I'm learning, like a unique instrument, one of a kind instrument that has these different chords that I can learn how to play. But like the safer I get in these long-term relationships, man, the more space that I feel able to just be absurd and go to all the places. And you know how many more orgasms I am having in my life? Yes. <laughs> A lot. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. So it's like, it's all connected. Yes. Yeah. I mean, like, that's just it. Like the long-term relationships, there's this, this idea of like, oh, the honeymoon phase is over. And it's like, if you are living in curiosity, that honeymoon phase is never fucking over because there's always something new to learn about your person and yourself. Mm -hmm. There's always something new to learn about your partners. Always, always, always. I don't Mm -hmm. care if you've been with them for 50 years, you, they are evolving. Yes. They have, we are all evolving all the time. One of my favorite quotes that I've ever heard about relationships is, Mm when I think I know my partner, I have stopped them from growing in my presence. And that's not, no, it wasn't partner. It's someone. When I think I know someone, I've stopped them from growing in my presence. Mm. And that is a hundred percent true. And I, and we get to know each other through hello play, you know, Mm -hmm. like we learn to play in different ways. It's a biological need. It's going to keep bringing it back to play because do it. It's (laughs) important. Hell yeah. Like when we think of, if you think of puppies and kittens or Mm -hmm. any baby mammals in the wild not even baby mammals like adult mammals too like play the rough and tumble play that happens like that is how mammals learn to navigate social nuance that's how we learn each other is through play Mm -hmm. biology Mm -hmm. it's not just me like being a weirdo and just saying like we should all play it's literally biology it's evolution it's a need it is a biological need Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I would say that that's like life force in some way, right? Mm -hmm. Like the ways in which I am playful in the bedroom slash dungeon slash nature, you know, know. we got to get to the ecosexual part too. Oh, we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, The ways that I play there then directly translate into the ways that I play in non-sexual ways with people. You know, I'm a little bit more like, oh yeah, this or that, you know, a little bit more. And like, hence why like that comedy or any sort of like play classes kind of play in, in all these ways, like 
I don't know how to use the words to describe it, but like it ends up being then your like energetic presence and the way that you carry yourself and interact with other people, it, it changes. And, and I feel that with people, I can have a conversation with someone and like kind of like gauge what their level of playing is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I look for in partners. I know. If somebody's same. super serious, I'm like, we're not going to get on. <laughs> this isn't going to work. Like, no. What are your green flags? I'm curious. Oh, oh, I love that question. I love yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. Playfulness is a huge mm. one. Openness and curiosity. That's a huge thing. Like curiosity, openness, acceptance. Like how gracious are they with other people? Like, you know, gracious as in non-judgmental of character yeah. and like oh maybe this person's having a rough day or maybe they're going through a thing right now like that kind of thing is like that is a green flag and I mark it and I put it in the file you know and patience and kindness because you can be something that I tell my clients a lot is that when somebody is angry with them or they've like done something and they're like man I really fucked that up and this person's really mad and my client is accepting mistreatment because mm. of that I correct that and I say, you can be angry and kind. You can be both angry and kind. Yeah. You don't, it doesn't have to be one or the other. It's not that like being mad or at something that somebody did excuses name calling or shaming of that person's character, or criticizing the person's character. That stuff is not, it's just not okay. Mm -hmm. You can be angry and say this, you did this thing and I feel really hurt and angry about that. And, you know, I needed some time to sort through this, you know, I'm going to come back to you and maybe we can sort this out. Maybe we can't, but you can be angry and kind. Yeah. And dare I say we should be angry, right? Like that's another mm -hmm. one of those like body yes. reaction emotions that shouldn't be tapped off. And it is often societally tapped off for a lot of people, depending on various intersections of identity that hit there, mm -hmm. right? Like yep. anger is not a safe place to go because of how it looks, right? All of those sorts of pieces, but like the ability to feel that in your body and then make the choice of how you respond to that, I think is the key, right? The yes and of like anger right. and I love you, I need space and I'm feeling this and I'm not gonna cut off this response. Maybe I'm gonna right. go for a walk. Maybe I'm gonna take a kickboxing class today. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like listening to what the body needs in that is so yeah. crucial. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's another thing I love to help people reintroduce. We get so cut off from anger, especially people assigned female at birth, right? right. And raised a certain way that like, you know, you don't wanna be angry. Refinding that anger and becoming friends with it and turning it into power empowerment. That's And I'm like, that's what happens when you have a healthy relationship with your anger is that it becomes empowerment, right? And then you don't have to, you learn that you don't have to take that mistreatment, that you don't have to take that when somebody is speaking to you a certain way or treating you a certain way, you know that like, no, my worth is different. And right. I, you know, my worth is more than this. And I'm going to do you know, what, I, what I need to do to keep myself healthy and safe. Absolutely. There's a post-it note somewhere on my wall of beautiful ideas that have come to my head at various points in my life. Um, and I'm trying to find it, but I'm not going to because um, there's too many. But one of them was talking about like, you know, as a woman myself, like, yeah, the amount of times I've been told to be soft and I can't get into my anger, like, but man, how I have stepped into that the amount of fury that I can bring into a play space within my partners sexually, like, mm -hmm. oof, oof. there is a lot there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And there are so many people that I don't think have tapped into the righteous amount of play that can be there with that anger. I know you're responding. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. How many people could be opened up from just that? Yep. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. I recorded with a dominatrix who kind of helped a little bit, like getting into that, like talking about like how to start doing that. But because I think it's uncomfortable at first, at least for myself, it's been uncomfortable to like control and be like, fucking bow down. You know what I Mm -hmm. mean? Like that energy is different. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And practicing that in your kinky play can help bring that into your interactions with the rest of the world. Oh yes. Like I just had this beautiful creature bowing down at my feet last week. How am I going to sit here and take this treatment from this motherfucker at the grocery store? You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. (laughs) Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then this is how it's healing, right? Like, and I'm just, I'm always just like scratching my head going like, how did psychology miss all of this? I mean, I think we could answer (laughs) that, like how it missed all of it, but I'm like, damn, like, how is it missing all this like super juicy transformative content. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, I think we're getting there. I think there's more research going out. I mean, I'm certainly trying to do my part in that (laughs) by like, by, by training future therapists and going back and, uh, you know, teaching at grad schools and stuff like that. There is more research being done around that. And it's just, man, that progress is slow. And Mm -hmm. like, even, I mean, if culturally there are so many just talking about sex and pleasure like sex for pleasure is a bit is it's really hard for a lot of people to talk about and acknowledge so like the kink element is like we're yeah. we're a little there we're a ways off from that mm-hmm. like unfortunately I, we are just based on the way culture and reality that just the reality of our culture and like how that works totally it's a little ways off it's getting there and there are more and more kink friendly kink aware poly aware therapists in Chicago, like, cause I'm part of the Chicago community too. Like yeah. there's like, it's amazing. K-Pact is just, it's in full force, you know, kink and poly aware, kink and poly aware clinical therapists. Is there something, something like, like that? I'm on the same list serve and I don't for. even know. I've been in it for years, but I forget what the C stands for. But there's so many, there's yeah. so many here. It's a wonderful place to be kinky or poly. It's so easy to find a therapist uh, in this area, but like in a lot of other places, not like that because I do coaching I see people everywhere I have a person in the UK I have east coast west coast mountain you know every time zone in the country I see people who are like don't have access to the therapists like us and like Mm -hmm. need support and that's another reason I think it's really important to have this the coaching element of my practice because I can see people from anywhere and people need that people need this everywhere Yep. I absolutely agree. That's a hundred percent what I do too. And like having that space to be able to do that, you know, and access to care that is needed, I think is the ethical decision there a hundred percent, especially when we think about all the pieces that are connected to that with healing that we've been talking about. Like this is absolutely necessary work. And especially for me as someone who like before or what brought me into the field of psychology was my own trauma, probably like many of us. But apart from that, like volunteering um, in sexual assault, the ER, being able to do crisis counseling there. And so like that was kind of like a big push into the field, seeing the lack of conversations about this and then like the whole healing continuum back to pleasure and thriving. Like what does it mean to be thriving 
sexually. Mm-hmm. Ooh, thriving sexually. I would I would even bring that back to sensually because like for a lot of folks, their sex is not, there are a lot of ace folks mm-hmm. and more and more people are realizing that they're ace. Like same mm-hmm. thing that like not everybody is kinky, not everybody's poly, not everybody is sexual. Um, not everybody is, has interest in romantic relationships. So like thriving sensually is engaging in things that bring you, that feel good, engaging yeah. in things that feel good, mm-hmm. whatever feel good is, whether it's things you like to smell, like, like I have this ama- amazing collection of different like oils and oh, yeah. so good. Yeah. And, <laughs> right. Or like being in nature. Okay. We're, and we're I, getting, I was like, we're getting there. We're getting closer. Okay. We're, getting, we're edging the, <laughs> we're teasing me. Topic. <laughs> so like bringing, so like bringing in like what, what kinds of things do you, do you like to cook? Do you yeah. like to make crafts? Do you like to decorate your house a certain way? Right. Do you garden. I mean, there's so many different sensually thriving and then interpersonal sensual thriving curiosity and play mm. don't ever stop playing don't ever stop being yeah. curious about your partners about mm. yourself about your body because our bodies change like we change our interests change our bodies change as we age and they are going to be interested in different things i used to be a super heavy masochist in my twenties mm-hmm. now in my forties. And I'm like learning more about my sensory needs. My masochism is different. It mm. looks different. The pain levels are not as high as they sure. used to be. I like different things now and like, that's okay. And like, that's yeah. kind of part of this acceptance. And like, there's part of me that could be like, Oh, I'm not as masochistic, but it's like, no, I'm just literally like my body is changing and my needs are changing. And I like different things now. And that's as it's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. So never stop playing, never stop being curious. That's really it. And like find people to play with who are curious about you and wanna and like wanna explore you and slow down and really be like, you know, let's experiment. What are the ways that I touch you that you like the most? And mm. you know, like really having these mindful sessions where you're just touching each other and just being together curiosity, openness, acceptance, and love. Mm. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) such a beautiful, yeah, like absolutely. Right. Like, oh, it's like, it's so packed right there. And the ways that that comes across different pieces too. I remember recording with uh, Ray McDaniel from Practical Audacity. Yeah. About gender magic. Right. And like, I was talking about kink and we were talking about like the unfolding that occurs in life, right. With all of these different pieces. I think play as an idea as like a radical act of rebellion and pleasure in our society is so, so important. I was just in this, like one of my um, ketamine assisted uh, psychotherapy sessions with my supervisor, we do co-therapy and they were talking to someone and like, I think part of it is that like when someone's on a psychedelic experience, there's a lot of pieces moving, right? There's a lot of like things going on. There's a lot of things happening and um, we'll capture it for people if they talk about it during it. But they were like, oh, I, I, it's just happening so fast. It's all moving. And my supervisor was like, yep, that's okay. That that happens in like normal life too, right? Like there's a lot yeah. to go on. You could probably look around. And it, it really struck me in that moment just to think about like, wow. Yeah, like when you really slow down, I'm missing so much. Like I'm moving so fast. Like mm-hmm. I could look around a, a store even, right? And like probably see a different thing every time if I slow down, mm-hmm. a different piece of Chicago every time I slow down to see the architecture. Mm-hmm. And I think that same level of presence could be brought to our relationships of like, oh, yes, this person is changing every single day. 
you're yeah. changing every single day. Like right. we could spend our whole life just trying to understand one another. Yes. Whole lives. Yep. I know. So like that curiosity and it's like, we like the schemas cause it's faster, right? Like this mm -hmm. is, this is this person. This is what I know. I know that. But like, if we can slow down to like open ourselves up a little bit more, like, oof. Yeah. We love to categorize things and we love to feel smart. We yeah. love to feel like we already fucking know. And we don't, <laughs> like we, we need to keep asking questions, you know, totally. our brains love to categorize and breaking that stuff down. It takes focus. It takes yeah. practice and it takes things like play and curiosity, which are things that we have learned are not adult values, that they're childish, that they're young. There's so much of that culturally. What I see when I see people who are, you know, judging and um, discriminating mm. based on all these things, it's because we've, we're not in touch with our curiosity. It's because we're categorizing and judging and being like, no, these boxes are where these people belong. And this other box is where I belong. And you've got, you're just causing pain all over the place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if you're not in my box, then what does that say about my box? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And then you have to look at, you have to take it. if you're like looking at other people, then you have to start looking at yourself and you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. Yes, I know. I know. The radical act is to stay in that pleasure, to, to have your confetti, like we talked about earlier, your game face, your joy, because you know, what's there and people yeah. will will come on their own journey of their own time and figure all of that out on their own time and space. Mm -hmm. But I'll ask and beg now, give me the eco-sexual like little bit of net. Yeah. Let's bring okay? it in. Yeah. Let's bring it in. Oh man. So I, somebody just sent me uh, this really small video of this gorgeous, it's like a black leaf with a bright pink center mm -hmm. and then the rain is falling on it. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so turned on right now. I'm like holding this thing. I said it to my friend. I was like, this is the eco-sexual test. And he yeah. was like, uh, well, I passed. So <laughs> thank you for sending this to me. I love that. Yeah. Like, yeah. So eco-sexuality is a thing that Annie Sprinkle and her partner Beth kind of coined a number of years ago. And it's like essentially being aroused by nature or being attracted to elements of nature, like thunderstorms, there's some eco-sexuality in that. And like, you know, I mean, like when have you like made love during a thunderstorm and it wasn't awesome. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, uh, there's like elements of it kind of sprinkled into, yeah. into normalcy, quote marks. All, all over the place already. So, but then it kind of goes into like what I was saying, like when I see a jasmine bush, like when I'm in San Francisco and, you know, I used to get, I used to be late to stuff because I was smelling all the flowers in San Francisco. Like I'm always like, oh. <laughs> like, you know, just having these beautiful sensual experiences on my way to work. You know, I wasn't like, I wasn't usually late to work, but sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and people just kind of learn to accept that. <laughs> Me, which is great to get you some friends that understand you sure um amen so, you know I've had like fantasies about the moon and I mean I mean there's like so many and it's your own relationship to nature yeah I mean how do you experience it I'm curious to hear about your experience I just feel like I'm a little baby again right all these different practices I'm a little baby I don't know but what I do know is that that's good I yeah curious. <laughs> yeah yeah I, I hope this podcast becomes a learning space for the rest of my life just a little public learning space which is terrifying but like 
I think there's a lot of shared experience with people. So bringing it into a space can do a lot Yeah, is my hope. Yeah, for me, I've always really enjoyed having sex outdoors. I love the like primal nature of it. I love feeling the wind touch me. Like it's a, it's kind of like, like I guess it's some of the same ways that I enjoy impact as like a, a sensory experience that brings me really into the present and like creates additional experiences during my play. So when I'm outdoors mm -hmm. and I can feel like the sun on my skin or the wind moving my hair, like it's just, it feels like another level of the central experience in which nature is playing with me kind of like a partner, you know, mm -hmm. in that same sort of way, if it's bringing that for me, I haven't felt like a very strong genital response to it yet. But I, I try not to like center that in terms of anything sexual these sure. days in my life. I do love like bringing sex to sensual space, right? Of, mm -hmm. yeah, I was walking down the street and I saw this beautiful flower. I went to go smell it. And as I smelled it, I like took in that smell and I could feel like the soft petals on my cheeks and like yeah. what a sensual experience mm -hmm. of like maybe getting a little kiss from a flower, right? Like what mm -hmm. an interesting space. So I feel like I'm just at the little beginnings of it. Yeah, I love that. Oh, I've made I've made out with a number of roses in my day, so. <laughs> <laughs> very fun very fun hey i love the taste of rose is that the next yeah step? <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so i'm learning yes oh that's so fun yeah great keep learning exactly keep right playing. curiosity keep exploring and following you know yeah. what we talked about earlier what's in the body it knows mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i want to hold a little bit of space as we come towards the end of our time. I know we talked about so much, but when I wrap up, I always like to hold space in case there was something on the guest's heart that for some reason we didn't hit to that you wanted to share. Otherwise I have a closing question. I ask all guests. Okay. Um, I mean, we ran, we were in a pretty good gamut. I know we did. <laughs> I'm really proud. Pretty good conversational gamut. So, um, I don't think I have anything lingering. I think we wrapped up a number of things. We yeah. got to the eco-sexual parts and there's some, I mean, there's so much more to explore about that. And like, yeah. I talked more about eco-sensuality and like yeah. my experience and like, we were both talking about eco-sensual kind of experiences sure. and like, there are more kind of sexual experiences I've had, like having fantasies about nature and like feeling kind of the energy and from certain things and nature and like, man, yeah, I think we're good. Yeah. I feel and good. And yeah, and people can only meet you as far as they've gone themselves. So maybe I'll have to invite you back on in a couple of years once I've explored and can have a deeper conversation <laughs> about the eco-sexuality too. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Well, then I will close with a question I ask all guests, which mm -hmm. is what is one thing that you wish other people knew was more normal? Ooh. I know, no pressure. <laughs> yeah. What is one thing? <laughs> yeah, only one. That's there is the one I'm like I feel like this whole episode has been about that that Probably. question yes yes that is usually the theme of the show yes yeah, totally. <laughs> what is one thing I'm gonna say neurodivergence mm. I'm gonna say neurodivergence ADHD autism it's more normal than a lot of people think and this is something that there's a little bit more public education and awareness around autism and what it actually is and what it actually means to be autistic. And so more and more people are being like, oh shit, like that explains my whole life, creating more 
spaces that are sensory friendly, creating more spaces where you're not judging people for being, you know, awkward in situations or there, I mean, like there's so many things and like, that would be, that's a whole other episode, but that's, I just want to like encourage people to read books like Unmasking Autism by Dr. Devin Price and like really educating yourself. It's really important um, to make make those spaces more inclusive i think absolutely absolutely i think we're moving towards that future when you're mm -hmm. talking about that in this space right and creating more conversation more openness to have these dialogues so that we can create that space yeah oh, well it was such a pleasure to have you on the show where do you want to plug so that people can connect with you and all of your services that new workshop you're releasing all of those fun things yeah so my website is weirdlightcoaching.com you can also find me on instagram weirdlights underscore coaching yeah so you can find me those places send me a dm i'm down to chat i love at answering questions and you know talking about stuff so yeah Great. So it was such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you for sharing all of your expertise. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. This was a really Good. fun conversation. Yes, 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 yes. If you enjoyed today's episode, then leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast and head on over to modernanarchypodcast.com to get resources and learn more about all the things we talked about on today's episode. I want to thank you for tuning in and I will see you all next week.